Hey, it's not quite the DeLorean, but we're going back in time with a new podcast feed full of all my favorite interviews in the history of the Bill Simmons podcast. We're coming up on seven years now. I've had an unbelievable collection of athletes, celebrities, showrunners, directors, Matt Damon, Denzel Washington, Adam Sandler, Kevin Garnett, Shirley Theron, Tom Hanks, Bill Burr, Kevin Durant, Peyton Manning, The Undertaker, Eddie Vedder, Kyrie Irving. Yeah, he actually came on. Dave Grohl, Quavo, Barack Obama. I mean, what else can I tell you? I've had Al Pacino with Barry Levinson. I've had people like Steph Curry, Jason Bateman, John C. Riley, Jonah Hill. I could just, I could keep going and going. But wait, there's more. Whether it's your first time or you're planning on revisiting some of your favorites, make sure you head to BillSimmonsInterviews.TheRinger.com for the entire archive. You can sort by genre, year, and more to easily navigate all your favorite people. Follow the Bill Simmons podcast, The Interviews, on Spotify now. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. Take a shot at betting the NBA with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. Welcome in. It is a special presentation of New York, New York, as we're breaking down episode three of The Captain. Jacko is here. Buddy, I know you know a thing or two about loyalty. Loyalty, loyalty, loyalty. Didn't you love how this episode started? I mean... If that doesn't give you, like, Godfather Corleone vibes, I, I mean, do you get that speech from Simmons every now and again about loyalty? <laughs> I, I do. He knows I'm loyal. He doesn't have to give me a speech. So, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm loyal, too. But Jeter, that's his main thing, man. I'll tell you, it's all about loyalty with him. And uh, loyalty goes both ways in his book. No question about it. You know, he admits... It's funny, he even admits that it's a failing of his, that, you know, he can't help it, that he, you know, he, he, he's not proud of it. But if you fail him, he will cut you out. That's it. And his sister makes that perfectly clear in this documentary. It's a big theme of the documentary as the A-Rod saga kind of is played out. 
Um, yep. But didn't you find it fascinating that they go right to the Alex Rodriguez quote from Esquire magazine, like immediately into that documentary? Like, I, I can just imagine like Jeter as he's watching this doc for the first time, hearing that quote again and again and again. Like I could just see his blood boiling every single time he hears it. Well, you know, it's pretty clear that he had executive control on this. I noticed in this episode, his agent is one of the executive producers. So th this is, a, uh, you know, this is, as they say, an authorized biography. <laughs> so Jeter's hands are all over this. And the fact that so much of the documentary's focus leading up to this, and I think, you know, there's sort of certainly foreshadowing that it's going to be dealt with again, is how much he's like, how much hatred basically he has for A-Rod because of A-Rod's quote, you know, to the to Esquire magazine. And then it's referenced that he brought it up a second time with Dan Patrick. So it wasn't just a one-time thing, but it's pretty clear that a lot of this is like the Jeter revenge tour and like going after A-Rod and really like setting the record straight because it's harped on quite a bit in, in many ways in every episode, seemingly. All right, I'm going to start there. We're going to work a little backwards on this episode because All we right. might as well get into the A-Rod Jeter stuff. I love this line, and I forget who said it in the documentary. I should have wrote it down, but I remember the line. Jeter loves being a Yankee. Yeah. A-Rod loves being a star. But right. in being a Yankee, Jeter ended up getting the star-like status that A-Rod forever craved. I mean, you got to imagine, though, Jacko, if you're Alex Rodriguez at the time, and you and I will have no debate, no argument, we're not going to question this in any way. If we're talking superior baseball player, superior talent, it's not debatable. It's not up for conversation. Alex Rodriguez was just flat out better. I think anybody with half a brain would tell you that Alex Rodriguez was flat out better. But yet his insecurities are so obvious that Jeter is doing this in New York He's winning all of these championships. The idea that Alex Rodriguez feels, man, what about me? What about me? You would think somebody that good would be comfortable in his own skin, but we'd learn over the years that's not Alex Rodriguez, clearly. No, absolutely not. And the thing is, like you say, if you're, you know, you're A-Rod, you're a young guy, you have amazing amounts of money, you're a good-looking guy, the world is your oyster, you're putting up these huge numbers, you know, you're getting legendary comparisons to the immortals of the game. That should satisfy you, right? But you're looking at this guy who does the same job that you do, who's your buddy that you hang out with, and he has not just all these championship rings, but he has so many big moments, right? So A-Rod is like, I'm putting up these numbers, but what were A-Rod's like well-known moments? You know, you can rattle off so many Jeter moments, you know, so many big games, so many big things, because Jeter, given his position on the Yankees and, and championships and everything else, he was there in the spotlight. So while A-Rod had the numbers and he, you know, could tout the numbers and, and had better skills than Jeter did, Jeter had the moments in the limelight. And it's pretty clear that that just ate away at him. And, and Jeter, you know, Jeter was bothered certainly by the quotes to Esquire and to Dan Patrick. But otherwise, Jeter was like, yeah, he's got better numbers than me. You know, Jeter says, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not blind. I could see what his numbers were. But Jeter was comfortable in his own skin and was comfortable in his in his moments. And A-Rod, like you say, his insecurities, he just couldn't be comfortable in his skin and he couldn't be comfortable seeing his, you know, erstwhile buddy be have these great moments and get the limelight. So I think and that ate away. Ultimate, you know, um, that's the ultimate compare contrast between those two, their body language, their behaviors and how Jacko in many ways 
it played out on the field because you'll see this. I'm sure we'll talk about this in later episodes, the failures of Alex Rodriguez in postseason and the ability of Derek Jeter to rise to the moment, to rise to the occasion over and over again. He was never overwhelmed. A-Rod, on the other hand, was overwhelmed about everything. And I, you know, they wanted you to maybe vilify the reporter from Esquire magazine to some degree, like, the question right. was asked, do you feel bad about ruining a friendship or whatnot? Yeah, yeah. I mean, to me, feel bad. The guy's got a job to do. Good for Alex right. Rodriguez, too, because Alex was like, listen, hey, he's got a job to do. I gave the quote. I got to own that quote. I got to take responsibility for that quote. The idea that, like, oh, this this reporter is at fault and at blame. No, 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 no. What a bunch of crap that was. Yeah, I agree. And A-Rod was a stand-up guy on that because there's a lot of guys that would have been like, oh, the context or it was misquoted or the nuance wasn't picked up. He's got to be a little fair because the whole thing was recorded and transcribed. But nonetheless, he was a stand-up guy. And he's like, yeah, I said the quotes and I'm not going to kill the reporter because the reporter's doing his job. And moreover, the reporter was competing with another magazine. I think it was a GQ thing about A-Rod or the shortstops in general. He's like, I'm competing with a guy and he happens to get these golden quotes where A-Rod pours this stuff out about Jeter and he's not a leader and he's not a number two hitter and yada, yada. You're not going to try to go, you know, you don't worry about him beating you and everything else. The guy had these quotes. What was he supposed to do? Not put him in the article, you know, and the fact that, you know, that I, I agree with you where they tried to make him the bad guy and the producer, whoever it is off screen says, well, what about like destroying a friendship or something? And the guy's like, I wrote a story, you know, I'm sorry if they're not as friendly as they once were, but I did my job. And, and A-Rod, to his credit, you know, said, yeah, I said the quotes, they're legit. You know, that that part was true. And the reporter's just doing his job. You know, the, I'm, I'm not a real member of the media. You are. But, you know, a lot of these, Debatably. I noticed that a lot. In the, a lot of a, a lot of this Jeter documentary is like, well, the media made a big thing of this. And that was a media thing. Well, you know, that's New York. And that comes with the territory, too, you know. So stories like this one, you know, that's that that goes with it, you know, unfortunately. And they're trying to sell papers or magazines. And if you get a juicy quote, what are you going to do? You know, put it in your back pocket. You got to put it in the magazine. No question. So we're going to spend a lot more time in the episodes ahead discussing A-Rod and Jeter because, spoiler Clearly. alert, they end up becoming teammates a couple of years later. Uh, and if you didn't know that already, shame on no, you. You what? should be listening to this podcast. <laughs> I mean, sorry. This is not Yankees for dummies. This might be a little bit of a Yankee history lesson. But if you didn't know A-Rod and Jeter were teammates, you know what? May yeah, maybe come to the maybe, wrong channel. Maybe go back and watch a couple of Yankees classics. Okay. <laughs> we're going back in time now, Jacko. Life yes. is good in 1999. And sure enough, this is when A-Rod and Jeter are buddy-buddy. Yep. The scuffle against the Mariners, I remember it vividly because it was a big story. Like, I, I, I didn't remember as a kid, maybe it's because the Yankees were at the peak of their greatness and I didn't give a rat's ass what Alex Rodriguez had to say when a team was winning every single year. But right. I do vividly remember Chad Curtis taking Jeter to task on the field. I remember Chad Curtis getting dumped the following year. I remember that it was played up that he did not like Derek Jeter. And, you know, for what it's worth, Jacko, I would have had a major problem with Derek Jeter and Alex Rodriguez laughing it up after a fight. I know, like, Jeter's point of view is, hey, it was at the end of the fight. We got together at the end. But right. they spent a serious amount of time, I remember vividly, kind of, like, laughing it up as guys are beating the crap out of each other. If I'm one of his teammates, that wouldn't rub me the right way. I know the Yankee teammates had Jeter's back, 
I'm actually side with Chad Curtis on this one, shockingly. And I'm sure I did at the time. I because I remember it being a big deal. I didn't I didn't love it either. I mean, when you know, Strawberry's ready to <laughs> as usual, ready to fight the whole team, the whole opposing team, you know, and guys are getting into it and you want to see that loyalty to your teammates. And I didn't like it that they were like goofing around, you know, on in, in the infield or in the outfield or wherever it was. I didn't love it. Now there's a lot of stories, and I'm not sure I was aware of them at the time, and he's had a lot of issues after baseball, much bigger than than the, th- this. But Chad Curtis was always known as a rough clubhouse guy. Nobody really loved him. He was an asshole. And, there, you know, I think because he was like a hardcore Christian that he would, like, remove, like, men's magazines from the locker room. And he apparently didn't like wasn't allowed mu- to play hip hop. If he played, he wasn't allowed to play hip hop. Didn't like the music, shit. the whole That's nine lame. yards. So he was a clubhouse cancer to begin with. So I'm sure that rubbed everybody the wrong way, and it wasn't that hard to side with Jeter. But yeah, it's one thing. I'm not saying you have to go and take swings at people and necessarily be in a fight, but you got to have your teammates' backs, and you can't like commiserate with the enemy during the uh, during the fight itself. I didn't love that at the time, but then you know Jeter said. I, you know, according to Jeter's version of events, and I have no reason to doubt it, Chad Curtis didn't come to him and do anything until the media was in the room to make a bigger spectacle of things. You know, that there's a half hour before after the game that, to decompress before the media comes in. And Chad, he's like, if Curtis came over and talked to me, I was willing to talk to him, but he he didn't do it then. He waited till the media came in and New York being New York and Jeter, you know, being Jeter at that time and A-Rod being A-Rod, that was going to be an enormous story. And it was. I remember it vividly at the time. That's where Chad Curtis looks like a total ass clown. And I can tell you that my aunt ran into the entire 96 and no, it was 97 down in Baltimore. They're out at the Sheridan, the Hilton. All the Yankees were staying there. The Yankees were enjoying themselves for a couple of libations at the bar. And she was telling me Strawberry was there. Boggs was there. This guy was there. That guy, everybody was great except for Chad Curtis. They all signed the hat. And Chad Curtis refused to sign the hat and basically gave a, a, a card, you know, like with, with a Bible verse uh, and was a total schmuck about it, too. So, you know, you now hear this about Chad Curtis after the fact, and it comes full circle. Speaking of guys that I couldn't stand, but I grew to like, Roger Clemens. Now, I vividly remember, Jacko, exactly where I was when the Yankees traded for Roger Clemens. For me, I was... With my parents, it was over February break. They were getting their car service. And it wasn't even on like WFAN or one of the sports stations. We're listening to probably the music station, like CBS FM or Q104 mm-hmm. was the music station. And the disc jockey comes on and says, shocking baseball trade. The Yankees have traded for Roger Clemens. And I'm like, what? They traded David Wells into a perfect game. You're breaking up. A 98 team where you say goodbye to Wells, Graham Lloyd, and very popular Homer Bush, Bush yep. for a guy I couldn't stand. He threw it Jeter. He threw it Knobloch. I, he didn't want to sign with the Yankees after 96 when Steinbrenner wanted him. He ends up going to the Toronto Blue Jays. I don't know if you felt this way. When the Yankees traded for Clemens in 99, I hated it. Yeah, I didn't love it because I, I was a, I liked Wells and, you know, I hated the Red Sox and I had already talked myself into Wade Boggs and rooted for Wade Boggs. But now it was like now I got to root for Wade Boggs and Roger Clemens. And, you know, I'd always disliked Clemens and I, he always threw at the Yankees. He always threw at Jeter. Jeter says himself, you know, he didn't he didn't care for Clemens either at all. 
So I was like, what is the, you know, you just had the best season in the history of baseball. Why are we breaking things up? Like, why are we upsetting the apple cart here? You know, why, Wells was great Yankee, you know, through the perfect game. Graham Lloyd was a phenomenal player and their pitcher in their bullpen. Why, why are we going to possibly upset things and have like a clubhouse problem here to go get Clemens? Now, you know, at the time he had five Cy Youngs, you know, 20 strikeouts in the game, the whole nine yards, you know, enormous legacy, big, strong guy, throws a million miles an hour. You'd like to have that on your team. But again, I was not a Red Sox fan ever. And, and I was just not, I just didn't think it was necessary, you know? And it goes to show you how good and how just with it the Yankee clubhouse was that Clemens gets traded to the team. And the first batting practice, you got Jeter right. and Knobloch in catches equipment, wrapping right. it up, yucking it up, basically saying, all right, Roger, you're one of us now. And Jeter basically says, point blank, he ended up being a great teammate. He ended right. up being a guy that I really, really liked. And my perception of him drastically changed. I don't know if you felt this way, Jacko. 99, along for the ride. Didn't pitch well. Basically right. pitched the last game of every clinching series that were up 2-0 against yeah, the Rangers. Did nothing. Get bombed by the Red Sox in the game against Pedro Martinez. And then yep. pitched game four. whoop de doo when the Yankees were up 3-0 against the Atlanta Braves. Right, no I pressure. I did not really warm to Clemens. You know when I warmed to Clemens? When he beamed Piazza. And it wasn't sure. just the idea that he beamed Piazza. That was when Clemens became Clemens again. I'm like, all right, this schmuck, the asshole that I rooted against <laughs> is now doing the stuff that he used to do going against my team. This is the guy I thought the Yankees were trading for. Like 2000, the Yankees don't win the World Series without Roger Clemens. 99, no question. completely along for the ride. I totally agree. You know, and, and back to what you said, the story that they had in there, which was funny. I don't remember that about Jeter and Knobloch coming out in full catcher's gear for the first BP. Kudos to Clemens, too, for throwing one behind Jeter, like going along with the joke, you know, like I'm going to throw one behind you. Like he played along instead of being like offended, you know. So that was like immediately welcome aboard. But I agree. 99, he's probably still trying to feel his way there. Doesn't know, maybe feeling things out. But yeah, I remember the big hyped up game against Pedro and he, they, you know, he got shelled. He did nothing. So, yeah, I, I think that was, uh, you know, I don't know if it was learning New York or feeling comfortable or what it was. But, yeah, he wasn't a factor in 99. And 99 to me is like looking back, I, I don't have any really vivid memories of that World Series. I mean, I remember things oh, like Oh, I the, do. They kicked the do? shit out of the Braves. Oh, yeah, I, I remember that. Yeah, I remember that. But to me, like, you know, you had the glory of 98 and then you had the war of 2000 against the Mets. So I think in history, 99 gets a little bit lost. It's like the Korean War between World War II and Vietnam. It does, you know, it kind of gets lost in history because there was two big things on either side of that one, you know. So 99 and it was playing the Braves again. I mean, I love sweeping the Braves. Don't get me wrong. Uh, you know, watching the documentary and, and stuff came back to me, you know, of games and things. But I remember, you know, the headlines, team of the century and everything. But like, I, I just don't have any like, I, I think because I remember 98 and I remember 2000. I think 99 is just kind of a blur to me. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Bada ba ba ba. At participating McDonald's.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. It's a forgotten World Series. I understand that. But I also think that 99 team doesn't get the respect they deserve from this standpoint. Probably true. They were almost, if not just as good as they were in 1998. Like the idea of following up what you did in 98, making it look easy, winning the division, easy in 99. And Jacko, that 99 postseason, they lost one game. Right. Think about that for a minute. They lost Crazy. one game that postseason. Right. They didn't sweat in the Texas series. And I love nope. that they document this against the Red Sox. Let's be honest. In 99, there was not a Yankee fan on planet Earth who was scared of the Boston Red Sox. They had no more. They had Pedro. That was it. Like, I expected the Yankees to win that series comfortably. And, and how about Jeter belittling Garcia Parra? And that was my, I, uh, this oh. is, we'll, we'll save this for a little bit later on in oh, the show. Oh, it's mine too. But I mean, the idea of Nomar saying, oh, I thought, you know, we we were the better team. We didn't win, blah, blah, blah. And Gina's just like, yeah, you're full of shit. Come on, Nomar. Well, you're better than that. The best thing that, I mean, that that's another thing, because I'm sure Jeter had editorial control of this too. So they have Nomar saying, well, you know, we think we were the better team and they just outplayed us, but we were the better team. And they immediately cut to Jeter who says, that's what losers say. It was so beautiful because <laughs> it was just like, no, 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 no. You did not have the better team. It wasn't even close. And for, you know, that's what people say. Oh, we were better. They just outplayed us. No, you weren't. No, you weren't. Like you said, they had Nomar and they had Pedro, but they didn't have, they didn't have Ortiz and they didn't have Manny as they did later. So they were not the same team that ultimately they became. They were a team on the rise. Now it's funny. I don't have a lot of world series memories, but I do remember that ACL ALCS because that was the first time that our friend Bill from L.A. and I went head to head. And I watched the game where Strawberry hit the home run with him. Oh, we were right in Boston together. Boom. Yeah. And so I was watching it. We were in Boston with a bunch of our friends from college. And we were watching it at a buddy's house up there. And I was the only Yankee fan in the room. And Strawberry hits that home run. And I jumped up and I'm pumping my fist. And oh, my God, everybody was staring daggers at me. And then Simmons and I had a long, quiet drive back to his apartment because he was so miserable. Because, you know, in 99, you're looking at, what, 81 years of misery for the Red Sox, right? And the Yankees always winning. And it was like one more nail in the coffin. And I I thought it was going to last forever. Foreshadowing, it did not. But I thought it would. So I do remember that ALCS because... The Red Sox were a little scrappy, and Pedro, you know, Pedro was just so dominant that back was then. Peak just so Pedro. dominant. And that peak. year, Pedro had as good a game as you're ever going to see. It was a Friday night at Yankee Stadium. He gave up one hit, a home to Chili Davis, and the rest of the game, Jacko, the Yankees did not have a prayer. And, Nothing. He, you know, unhittable, it's, yeah. 
it's interesting to think about Pedro and Mariano, who are two all-time greats, two immortals. But if you think about it over time, the Yankees against Pedro and the Red Sox against Mariano started right. to have more and more success. And I think yep. the main reason why was they saw him basically so you know, much. 18 times a year. Sooner That's or later, right. you're going to pick up on some tendencies, no matter how great you might be. That's right. That's exactly right. They saw each other too much and they got to learn each other. And, and yeah, so the famous Pedro, you know, eventually, who's my, oh yeah, I guess they're they're my daddy and I'll just tip my cap to him and call him my daddy and, you know, with the daddy chants and all that stuff. But then the Red Sox beat Mariano, as we unfortunately know, in a lot of big situations. And that was the same thing. Mariano is the greatest closer of all time and it's not debatable and it's not close. But the Red Sox, you know, the Yankees' biggest rival, they had his number to some degree. So that's unfortunate, but you're right. When you play, you know, 15, 18, 19 times a year, you're, you know, and you see the guy all the time, you're going to pick stuff up, unfortunately. You had to love the That's Life montage. I know Bob O'Reilly's your jam, but the no, idea of seeing the tormented Atlanta Brave souls and great line from Kay, that's a team full of Hall of Famers and they look yep. like they didn't belong. And that is 1000% accurate. And just think about like that seismic shift from where the Yankees were in 96 against the Braves. Yep. And then by the end of the decade where the Yankees were the team of the decade, the Yankees were the team of the century, the Yankees right. just swept the Atlanta Braves. Like you could see it in like Chipper Jones and John Smoltz and, and, and Greg Maddox. Faces. Oh, yeah. It's like, we got no chance against these guys. What's going on here? I think that's why John Smoltz still roots against the Yankees every single time he does a Yankees game on Fox. So, um, yeah, you could just see that that's life was fantastic because it was like it was just like so matter of fact, like this is what the Yankees do. They come out and they take your soul and they win the game. You know, that was what the 90s Yankees did. Like it wasn't even a question like the Yankees were just going to win. They knew you were going to win. You knew they were going to win. And it was like they just were going to come in. And it was the only question was what the score was going to be. And the Braves knew it and the Yankees knew it, that they were just totally overmatched. Whereas in 96, the Yanks are the new kids on the block. The Braves are the favorites. And once they beat them then, like 99, I had no fear. I, and, I, you know, I didn't know it was going to be a sweep again. But, uh, I mean, that wasn't even – it wasn't even competitive. We go to and poor Gerald Williams. Gerald uh, Ice Williams. Jeter's Gerald. best poor – The late Gerald. Gerald Williams, who we just lost, unfortunately. Jer Jeter's best friend, you know, one of his best friends. And he has to – like he said, it's bittersweet because he's there with the Braves. He wants to win. He wants to get a ring. but all, And then he sees all of his buddies celebrate yet again on the Yankees. You know, that's got to be brutal. Gerald had some bad luck because he was on the 95 team. Yep. He leaves for Grand Boy in 96. They bring yep. him back in 2001. So I think he still got a 96 ring. And I Probably. think he ended up getting a ring from the Marlins, believe it or not, in 2003. I was going through the uh, baseball reference. Oh, really? I was kind of yeah. curious. Yeah, I was curious to see how many he ended up pulling with the Yankees. But Jerry Williams, who was Jeter's one of his closest friends, one of his best friends, part of that 99 Brave team. And that Brave team had no chance. 2000. Right. Okay. That year... You're wondering, fatigue, can they do it again? Is it asking too much? Well, they make a couple of great trades. They get David Justice mid-year. Huge, yeah. Unbelievable. Had so many big home runs. They get Glenn Allen Hill, who had a lot of big home runs coming off the bench. Still stuff left, yeah. They bring in Denny Nagel, who was unbelievable for five starts and then completely shit the bed. But, Jacko, that September, they go from comfortably ahead in the AL East to basically losing day after day after day to the point where they basically backed into the playoffs because the AL East was so bad. They won yep. less than 90 games. 
And I remember going in that Oakland series. I think most people believe they're not turning it on this year. This is just not, there's something off with this Yankee team. Like, I know I felt that way. Going into the Oakland series, I said, they don't seem right. But you knew because of the team's fabric, because of the team's DNA, if they got past that series, it was a different ballgame. Poor Eric Chavez, later a Yankee. Yes, he was the he was the fall guy, right? Because he came out and was like, "Oh, they're done," you know. And it was they were on the field, and it was up on the screen. Bad idea, you know. That's a bad idea. Don't poke the bear when the bear has just won the last two World Series. You know, two out of the last three World Series. Uh, well, no, at that point, ninety six, ninety eight, they won three out of the last three or four, uh, four World yeah. Series. Uh, yeah, don't poke the bear, right? So they just needed something. They needed that bulletin board material. And literally, they showed the, the New York Post, I think, hanging up in the uh, in the locker room. So yeah, that definitely motivated them. There's no question about it. And that was it. But yeah, I remember that September. And I was so spoiled back then. I was so miserable. And I'm like, oh, this team stinks. They're awful. You know, they just swept two World Series and won, the, won two years prior. And I'm, I'm mad because they had a lousy September. But I distinctly remember how bad they were in September. And it was like, you kind of hoped that they were just bored with the regular season at that point and they would turn it on in the postseason. And sure enough, they did. But yeah, that, I remember that A's series and it was like, then you're down 2 nothing, and you're like, well, you know, they had, a, they had a run and they're just done. What are you going to do? Well, that year, they were not down 2-0. Well. That was a 1. This year in 2000, oh. they were up 2-1 at home. Oh, Clemens the Chavez one was four, later, yes. And they got pounded. They got smoked, and they That's had to right. fly across the country. That's what it they was. They had headed on short rest, and Jack, with a bullpen that game, they were unreal. They had like seven or eight innings. Like, Pettit was not good, and everybody coming out of the bullpen pitched great, and it was the Yankee fabric. They grind That's to right. death. They end up winning, and then they take down Seattle in the ALCS. Then right. you get to the They won 116 series. games. Well, no, that was 01. You know, you see, you oh, that's 01. 01. I'm sorry. You're right. You know you're right. You're yes, watching yes, yes. all these documentaries. I know. I know. I'm lost I here. That's pain. right. I feel your pain. I really do. Um, Subway Series stuff. Yep. They couldn't lose. Like, for anybody who was living in the tri-state area, for anybody who worked for the Yankees, for anybody associated with the Yankees, the documentary does a great job of illustrating. Mm-hmm. If the Yankees had lost that World Series to the Mets, in many ways, the three out of four championships would have felt hollow and would have felt empty. And I'm not exaggerating by saying this because you would have said, yeah, the Yankees won three out of four. But guess what? Their run came to an end against the, against Mets. the Mets. They couldn't lose to the Mets. And everything, everybody says after the fact, Tori said that's the most pressure he felt from Steinbrenner. That Steinbrenner, you could feel the pressure like emanating off of him. Because he wanted to be the king of New York and he couldn't handle the thought of losing to another New York team and losing to the Mets, who he was jealous of in the 80s with the 86 Mets and everything. So, I mean, they talk about that in the documentary about how he went to Shea Stadium and he didn't like the furniture there. And he brought had the Yankees furniture from their clubhouse shipped over to Queens to the clubhouse. And he was just like that was the most he was into any of the World Series was when they played the Mets. So there was an enormous amount of pressure on the Yankees to win that one. Oddly enough, because, I mean, they were the top of the heap at that point, but it was still like, we got we have to dominate New York and beat the Mets. So, yeah, you could feel that in the documentary. And game one is there for the taking for the Mets. It looks like my buddy, SNY, Todd Zeal, is about to hit a go-ahead yep. two-run homer so against good Andy Pettit. Yep. Zeal killed the Yankees. Always lost yep. to the Yankees. 
but kill the Yankees. Yep. Hits the ball, top of the wall. Timo Perez doesn't run. And how about the breakdown, Jacko, of Jeter acknowledging and realizing how he had to throw the ball to Jorge Posada in order to get Timo Perez? Like that sort of like sixth sense that you right. just, you can't teach. Like you either have it or you don't. Jeter being in the right position, making the right throw, changing the entire feel and the momentum of game one of the World Series. And Jeter, you could tell he had a little glimmer in his eye. He took satisfaction in sticking it to the Mets. He enjoyed it. Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. And I'm sure they heard about it in New York, and you want to be the top dog in New York. And like you say, if you lose to the team that's in your city, regardless of what you've done previously, you're going to hear about that. And that's, again, you know, that, that's a Jeter play that's underrated because, you know, the famous ones are the dive and the flip in 2001 against Oakland. But that's as big a play right there. That's in the World Series. And Todd Zeal goes from inches away from hitting a two-run homer to them not scoring at all. That's an incredible turnaround there. And that's a great play. You know, he's, he's not really where anybody normally would be. And he just reads it and knows that's where he should be. That, that's another classic Jeter play, just either either amazing luck or fantastic baseball sense. But being a Yankee fan, I'll say fantastic baseball sense. I like the sound of that. And <laughs> that carryover of momentum, game four, the Mets win game three. David Cohn is sick of hearing who let the dogs the out. Baja the men. Oh, so terrible. And Cohn I mean, was I funny in this one, too, where he's like making fun of like the Baja men around the field, like doing who let the dogs out. Like this is the best the Mets could do. You know, <laughs> the Baja men. Yeah, that was funny. That was their thing. Black uniforms, Baja men. And Jeter basically said, hey, make sure you're in your seat. So I was at that game, Jack. Yeah. And we First pitch. barely, barely made it. Like, I mean, it was terrible traffic. BQE, Grand Central, parking the car. I remember running through the Shea Stadium parking lot at like 730 because the security lines, even though this was a pre-9-11 world, 9/11. you right. still had a long line to get into the stadium. We got in literally right as they're playing the anthem. Get there. I mean, right behind. I was like down the third base line. So you see Jeter, boom, right off of Bobby Jones, first pitch before anybody could get in their seats. And it was like the, the momentum tempo. the Mets had. From the night before was over. It was done with. And Jeter was, that was as good as Jeter was in any World Series 2000. I mean, my goodness, the yep. Mets could not get him out. He was in the middle of every big play and absolutely deserved his lone World Series MVP. No question. And, you know, there's so many moments that come back in this documentary. And because the documentary and because he's Jeter and, you know, I hear all this shit from Red Sox fans and other people, oh, Jeter's overrated. And he, you know, if he played in Kansas City, you know, he wouldn't be, it wouldn't be this much hype. Bullshit. He was a hell of a player. A-Rod, th I'm not sure if it's in this episode or another one where he talks about Jeter and he goes, he's a bad motherfucker. Bad motherfucker, and he was, yes. Bad motherfucker. And it's like Jeter had moments. He had huge moments. He's, it, he would have had this, if it was in Kansas City and he was doing this in Kansas City, believe me, there'd be just as much hype. Big moments, big hits. He was fantastic, that World Series. I mean, that's really where he... And you talk about, you know, it's funny, A-Rod's quotes, well, you don't, you don't let, you know, you worry about O'Neal and Bernie Williams, you're not going to worry about Jeter beating you. Well, Jeter beat them, you know, <laughs> Jeter beat them. That was, a, he was huge that series and he beat them. So you had to worry about Jeter beating you in that, that circumstance. Did you have any fear of what was going on with the whole Clemens Piazza saga going into game two? Because Clemens hit Piazza in a regular season, Piazza was all ticked off about it. Mm -hmm. I remember there was so much hype going into that at bat. Oh, in yeah. Game two of the World Series. Like, everybody was talking about it. 
It, you couldn't escape it. And then Clemens, I mean, I don't know if it was roid rage or anger management, whatever the hell he was doing. Jacko, he should thank his lucky stars. He didn't drill Piazza with that bat. I mean, what the fuck was that? That was crazy. I mean, that was like a Tyson earbiting moment in terms of like the spectacle of it and just the insanity of it. And his excuse makes no sense where he thought it was. I mean, I defended him for years being a Yankee homer. If you think it's the ball, right? If you think the, I thought he's like, I thought it was the ball. I thought it was the ball. Why would you rifle it towards Piazza and not like look to throw to first base if you thought it was the ball? Wouldn't that be your first reaction? Oh, good. He grounded it back to me here. Let me throw it over to Tino. Like, I, I don't understand his, his answer of I thought it was the ball. I think he just like, you know, he was so hyped up after almost hitting him in the head. And then the bat comes back at him. And I think he just, you know, animal instincts or roid rage or whatever. But it still doesn't make any sense. It's insanity. But it's funny to me, like, he doesn't really seem to have a lot of remorse. I mean, you know, Jeter no, was like, he's, he's basically no. joking about hitting Piazza in the head at the Halloween right. party. For him to share that story right. about the Halloween party, seeing the costume of a guy in a Piazza helmet with right. the, the baseball in the, head. in the head and the bat in the chest, and he's like lapping it up 15 years later, kind right. of telling. Right. It is definitely telling. And it was crazy to me, like just the different time it was because there, I think it was this one where there was a, like, they showed the crowd and there was somebody holding up a sign and it said, the hills are alive with the sound of chin music. <laughs> It was a different time in 2000. You know, you wouldn't be bringing signs like that to the game today of like encouraging beanball wars and throwing at guys. But it was, a, you know, it was only 20 something, 20, what, 20 years, 22 years ago. And it was a different time because, yeah, it was like, you know, and Clemens is pretty open about it in this episode. He's like, yeah, you know, all right, it's the bow tie time. I think he called it or something about like, yeah, I'm going to pitch inside and I'm going to come up and in and let's go. You know, like it was, it's on. It was great. It was unbelievable. That's the thing. Like, it's like I tweeted out about Josh Donaldson and this year, like if he played for any other team, his standing there at home plate would drive me crazy. And I'm sure I hated Clemens when he played for other teams. But when he's on your team and he's throwing at guys, you're like, yeah, that's my guy. Go get that's him. My guy. You know? 100%. It's my guy. Now, so at the time he threw the bat, I was like, nah, Piazza, fuck him. You know, he's, you know, <laughs> he deserved it. It's ridiculous. In the spirit of MVPs, let's get right to the awards. My MVP for the episode is Clemens. I me thought he too. was funny. Uh, the line about the Halloween party, uh, yeah. telling some of the stories about throwing up and in and guys and, yeah. you know, just that you could tell the Yankees were won over by Roger Clemens. They were. Yeah, Across absolutely. The board, Tory, Jeter, you find yeah. the guy, they're not going to say bad things about Roger Clemens. I'm making Clemens the MVP. Yeah, he was my MVP, too. And we don't talk about these things ahead of time, folks, but he was absolutely 100% my MVP, too. I thought about giving it to Cone because I... I loved his dismissal of the poor Baja men the and just the Mets in general. From Cone was good too. I like that when he was talking about the teams and how like they trusted each other and they fed off each other. I thought that was a right. really good line. He's good. I love David Cone, but yeah, you got to give this one to Clemens because he was just everywhere in this episode. He was the big factor. He was the focus. The whole Piazza thing that he's so unapologetic about the bat. And the Halloween costume where people are like, oh, God, how is he going to take this? And he went up to the guy and he goes, hey, you're going to win. <laughs> I just thought, like, just the fact that he totally owns that scandalous moment and is like, yeah, you know, whatever. He's, you know, he just doesn't care. Yeah, he's the MVP. What was your favorite moment in the episode? Um, well, I think it was the that's life because I, I loved how matter of fact that was of just like, you know, that was a good choice of song about like because it's Sinatra. 
And it's, you know, that's life. That's just the way it goes. Like, we're just going to come in and we're going to win. And it was like, so matter of fact, I, I, I'm in, I, my favorite moment is always these musical montages. Of you the love Yankees, the montages. Steamrolling people. You I'm a mon- a that's me. I'm montage. all the montage guy. Yeah. I'm the um, montage guy. I have guy. two. I have two. I hope this is allowed, but they're quickies. Yeah. The first is Zimmer and Jeter playing the video game. And Oh yeah. That was funny. Jeep, this might help you get laid. That was great. Total ad lib. That was good. Yeah. Uh, the second one is the clip of my mutual friend, Bill's mutual friend, the great Mike Francesa. And I want to have the exact quote. They should be embarrassed to pop corks. <laughs> yeah. I was dying. That was great. Classic. Dying. Classic Francesa. Pop, yeah, because they lost to Baltimore and won the AL East and they had been pathetic. That's classic. Yes. The K- the Pope. Yes. Screaming. Uh, now we get to our I also like the I also love the thing that when which I talked about earlier, I gotta reiterate it when Nomar's like we were the better team and immediately Jeter goes, That's what losers say. Oh, I love that. Well, it's I classic thought you Jeter. might I thought you might go there for your Corleone moment. This is where I'm going. Yeah, well Corleone that's a possible moment. Corleone, but I have another one. So do I. I wonder if we have the same one. It's Jeter being so dismissive of the Mets. Oh, well, my goodness, Jacko. He goes, I didn't hate the Mets. They were the Mets. <laughs> right. I like that. That was good. And then he's like, oh, I'm going to I'm going to take heat for this. But he, and then he says it again. He's like, but it was just the Mets. You know, like, it's just completely I dismissive. I no fear. It. I right. That's a it. classic New York. They're the Mets. But no, the, I think the Corleone moment for me was Chad Curtis gives Jeter a bunch of shit. And the next year, Chad Curtis was gone, <laughs> shipped out and gone. I mean, that was a real life Corleone moment. Cause I, and then they went to Jeter and they're like, well, did you ship him out? And he's like, he never says no, by the way. He said, well, if I had that power, I would have given myself an extension, which is a non-denial denial, you know? So as they say in politics. So that was a classic. Chad Curtis like waited until the media came in and gave me shit about joking with A-Rod. And then Chad Curtis is no longer on the Yankees. That's a real Corleone moment. Get him out gone and he was i love this episode and episode three and four were just like i couldn't get enough man because like this is peak prime yankee invincibility dude you know that's what i think about when i see this episode i know 98 is the vintage year and the top-notch year but it was still on the rise this was like the peak of f you we're winning every game we're winning every world series there's nothing you can do about it Really enjoyed this episode. Me too. I loved it. And it's like, you know, there there was this documentary series on VH1 called Behind the Music about all these bands. And they'd always be at the height of their fame and they'd be going great. And then the drugs would kick in and then they'd have an episode or the end of it. They'd be like, and then it all took a turn for the worse. And it goes like this. Right now we're still up here, but now I know foreshadowing because I know what happens next. Uh. So it's like 99, 2000. And then, you know, not not that there was actual drugs that kicked in, but just in the same spirit as that. Like, I know where things go from here. So this may be the last episode that I really enjoy for a while. I understand that. So listen, <laughs> buckle up. We got to get ready for episode four. Um, yes, indeed. Double episodes. So don't go anywhere. We'll be back in a All few. Right. Stephon, right. great work. We'll be back with episode four. Hey, double feature. Jacko, JJ, Captain, taking it up. 